Welcome to Season 2 of I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Caraview. For Season 2, my guest hosts chose the record, and I'll be honest, sometimes I do not fucking love it. However, I did fucking love talking to each and every one of them about their choice. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Today we're going to be talking about Angel Dust, which is Faith No More's fourth studio album. It was released on June 8th, 1992 by Slash and Reprise Records, once again produced by Matt Wallace. It was the band's final album to feature guitarist Jim Martin and the first where vocalist Mike Patton had any substantial influence on the band's music. Angel Dust is Faith No More's best-selling album to date, having sold over 2.5 million copies worldwide, however, did not chart any singles. On the other mic today is fellow former college radio metal director, current marketing technology and digital strategy consultant for Beta Girl, Michelle Robbins. Michelle, please tell the people a little bit more about you. Like you, I started in college radio at KUCI. I was a metal music director and then moved on from there to work in the record industry for a time at Disney's commercial record label, leading a national alternative radio promotion. Left that industry and headed into technology in the mid to late 90s, where I've been ever since. Like you said, I'm currently a marketing technology and digital strategy consultant for uh, a firm that I founded myself, actually, in the late 90s. And I'm going to be pursuing a master's in data science program later this year. Oh, terrific. So congratulations on that. Uh, Thank you for joining the show. Uh, Now, this is uh, season two of... I fucking love this record. So you get to make the lead. So you chose this route. You chose this album for us to discuss. So tell me, how did this album enter your life? Well, by the time I, uh, by the time this record was released, I was out of college radio and working at the record label. So this album entered my life, honestly, by getting an advanced copy from a friend at the label that released it. So I was very lucky to hear it before it dropped. Uh-huh. Uh, were you looking forward to this one? Were you still a fan of the, of the previous record or was it still on your radar? Obviously, when you're working in college radio, you're just bombarded by a bunch of stuff. And, uh, you know, it'd been a couple of years where uh, were you looking forward to it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the real thing was such an incredible record and so transformative for me that, you know, this this band was immediately one of my favorite bands of all time. And um, I was really looking forward to what they did next. And they did not disappoint. This is one that I, I had been anticipating, but also dreading just a little bit. Uh, because I was all in with the real thing. And I had bought the first Mr. Bungle record and had got the previous uh, Mike Patton free Faith No More record, uh, Introduce Yourself. Uh, but the real thing was something special for me. You know, what if I hated this new record? What if I didn't like it? What if it was terrible? You know, it was one of those kind of, you have that fear sometimes. Uh, right. And it was my 20th birthday present to myself. Uh, so I remember going out and, and picking this one up uh, just before just before I turned 20 and listening to it with headphones by myself in my room kind of thing. I remember taking a break about halfway through and a friend of mine called to wish me a happy birthday and asked me how it was because he didn't really like uh, the previous record. And, I'm, and it was just like, I'm not sure what I'm listening to, but it's fucking great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we're going to go ahead and jump into the track by track analysis. And we uh, we talked last time, we talked last season a bit about the different types of openers. Land of Sunshine is a blueprint opener. 
It doesn't sound radically different from what you're going to hear, but it does let you know that things definitely will be different. <laughs> you know, it's a noisy intro, but then that gives way to the familiar bass and, and keys and the guitar is chugging and the vocals are familiar. Uh, it's heavier than almost anything on the real thing, but it also feels just a touch weirder. And I think that really comes down to the to the songwriting, to the vocals uh, are a little bit different. And I like the song. I like the song quite a bit. It's it's different and it's weird while still being very much Faith No More. Uh, Michelle, what did you think of Land of Sunshine? Completely agree and completely agree. It sets the tone. You know, it's definitely the, the blueprint for the record. And I love that it just jumps right into this is going to be heavier than you expected, right? If you came looking for Epic, go away, <laughs> almost says, right? It's like, I felt like they were almost like putting a stake in the ground and saying we're not going to be defined by that pop song on MTV and just really kind of hit you in the face with a really heavy, um, heavy song that the pr and also the production, right? The production stands out immediately, especially compared to the real thing. And you are immediately, you know, you understand that Mike Patton's talent is going to be front and center on the record because you're not, he's not singing through his nose. <laughs> you're you're going to get the full weight of the, of the power of his voice. And I, I just think all of that comes through in this one song. Uh, his approach to songwriting is a little bit different because, again, I think he had his hands in with the the music as well so not just he wasn't just a hired gun at this point right and then write the, the lyrics over the top of it which is what he did for the most part on the real thing so he had a hand in, in all of it and you can really hear it especially you know like i said in this first song maybe not to its full effect but it, it, i think people who had listened to that first mr bungle record were probably not quite as surprised by people who maybe just had heard the real thing right we knew that, all right, so this guy likes a lot of freaky, spazzy, weird stuff, and he's not afraid to be freaky, weirdy, and spazzy. Really, I think the question was how much of that was he going to bring to Faith No More? And a bit, you know, he doesn't do jazz freakouts or anything like you would see on Mr. Bungle, but there's some there's some different stuff going on here while while still i think maintaining that core of the faith no more sound which leads us on to track two caffeine what were your thoughts on this one so i don't i don't hate this song but you know as uh i, I do think it's a straight ahead metal song you know it's just it's just a metal song but i just don't find it very compelling you know it, you know it always felt a bit disjointed but not in a good way like so many of their other songs that <laughs> could be disjointed in fantastic ways and I, and i felt like they didn't really know what to do with it and the ending just not as compelling as it could have been now this is one because with the real thing i didn't work for my college radio station when that album was and i was working in college radio when this came out and i played the shit out of this song <laughs> The first year that I, I did radio, I mainly played alternative and they needed somebody to be a metal director. And I was the only one who could even conceivably do it because nobody else really listened to metal at the radio station. So it was basically me. So I'm like, OK, I will do this. And so I did a, I did a metal show and uh, this this got a lot of play. And I had always had problems with sleeping really for as long as I could remember. And this got even worse while I was away at college. I, I had really bad insomnia uh, a couple of different times when I was there. And for whatever reason, this felt almost like a personal theme song. <laughs> okay. Because uh, I, I did rely a lot on coffee to make it through my day because I couldn't sleep. And I think, it, you know, it's heavy and it's weird, but something about it, just I loved it. Or I liked it. I liked it a lot. I liked it as a friend. <laughs> I do enjoy this song uh, much more than, than you did. 
track three brings us to the uh, the leadoff single, Midlife Crisis. I'm not a huge fan of this song. I see why they chose it. Uh, my thing with this is the opening really lets the rhythm section shine. You see what those guys are really capable of, it's just like the different rhythms and those glassy keys, like that keyboard over top of it, just reminds you how important Roddy is to the band's sound. And I know at one point, I had, I read somewhere that Angel Dust was written without keyboards. What? Yeah, that apparently Mike Patton and Roddy Bottom had a little bit of an issue, and he wrote a version of Angel Dust with no keyboards on it. Now, I don't know if that's true, but I read that somewhere. And it's clearly not the case. We do see plenty of Roddy on this record, and I think... Whereas I think with the rhythms and what Patton does with his voice is okay, but I think there's some interesting things musically going on with, with the song. See, I love, I love the vocals. I love how heavy they are. Um, I love the chorus. I honestly, I think this is a perfect song <laughs> from the structure, the lyrics, the performance, the mix, uh, just everything. And I completely understand why it was chosen as the first single when it was released. Um, I just think it's perfect. And it's interesting what you said about keyboards, because I feel like if you're listening to just listening to a lot of different metal and alternative music, the way you identify a Faith No More song, it really goes to it's either Mike Patton's voice or it's the keyboards, because I think the keyboard sound is is honestly, it's the one consistent thing across their records. I would agree with that 100 percent. Yeah. So that's even when you when you pick up something with Chuck Mosley singing. You're like, is this? And then you hear those Roddy Bottom keys. You're like, yep. Yep, exactly. I mean, he's he's sort of what identifies the band, even though he's not um, always the most forward or considered the most important or the driving element in any given song. He really is the glue that, that holds their sound together. And we talked last time about how I think that Jim Martin was the backbone of the band. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I would definitely say Roddy was the glue or a different body part. Of, I, I, hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't thought about this metaphor very, very clearly. So we'll just move on to it before it gets gross. But anyway, track four, RV, which we have a uh, countryish character study, right? Yeah. So I love that they tried country metal, but I don't love country metal. It, it's not one that I come back to. No boring i mean fun cheers to you guys for throwing that in there mm -hmm. but it feels more indulgent for them than fun for the audience it's not that it's bad it just felt a little too like a novelty track yeah trying to understand it in the context of the whole album like the first few times of course i listen to it every time and there's some there's some interesting things in it but after that first handful of listens this one was pretty regularly skipped and i think that was the first time i actually listened to it and I don't know how many years uh, preparing for this podcast. Yeah, it's interesting because in listening to to these records over and over and over, also in preparing for um, the podcast, and you really start thinking about the songs. <laughs> and I kind of, at some point, for whatever reason, and I forget which song it was, I don't think it was this song, but Quentin Tarantino came to my mind, right? I was sort of like, Faith No More is, is, is to music what Quentin Tarantino is to filmmaking. Hmm. And that's as far as I got with it, but I, <laughs> because I felt like they, they inject chaos into some of their stuff. Yeah. And it almost seems like they're just injecting chaos for chaos sake, not because it adds to the body of work. And just the fact that they take from, and I don't think they, they steal quite as fully as Tarantino can at times. Sure. But they, they are just grabbing genres by the fistful and shoving it into their mouths, not looking what they had grabbed yeah and and a lot of it's like well that's a nice homage right it's it's almost like like it's not just straight up 
we're going to copy something. It really is an homage to a genre, but I don't have to like it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I love Tarantino and I love what he does and what he did for filmmaking and screenwriting and things. But some of his stuff, I just think like, okay, just stop already. (laughs) And there's a bit of that on this record mixed in with just absolute genius. So, you know, on balance, I'll take it all. (laughs) And I have some thoughts on that when we get to the final thought. All right. So that leads us into smaller and smaller. What did you think about this one? Um, it's an, I like it, but I don't love it. It's another one of those. Um, and I think it went on for far longer than it needed to. Yeah. You know, we talked with the previous one about even though they had a couple of, uh, long songs, they never bothered me like other times, but here I felt like there's a couple of songs that could have been shaved down. Yes. And this is one of them. This also got a lot of play for me back in the radio days, mainly just because of that heavy guitar. Right. And there was something I, I think I used to play this with, and I, I just can't think of it right now. But So that it was one of those that had a good transition, and I think it's why it got played a lot. I, and I don't have a whole lot to say about this one. I think it, it's a good tune, and it's a tune I, I don't skip, but it's I'm, I don't hum it later either. <laughs> yeah. No, this is definitely skippable for me, but not the next one. Everything's ruined. Oh my God. This, um, so this is pro, well, you know, I, I, when we were preparing for it, you know, I told you I was going to run the analytics on my faith, no more listening habits. And it turns out this is a song that I've listened to more than anything else. Wow. That surprised me as well, but it's also one that I have on a number of different playlists. It comes up on playlists, whereas other ones don't. So interesting story. <laughs> I um, was, I would put together custom playlists for our events. When I worked at the media company, we did live events. Mm-hmm. I would put together a playlist and this made it onto one of those playlists. And I think that's what helped bump it up in rotation. Whereas there is a lot of, there was a lot of their work that you couldn't put on a playlist for public consumption. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does that make sense? Perfect sense. <laughs> But it's still, um, I just think it's a fantastic song. I just think it's beautiful. You know, the structure, the instrumentation. Uh, I wish I had something super insightful to say other than I just love it and could listen to it on an endless loop. Yeah, I like this one. I don't have a lot in the way of notes for it. I kept going back because I just, I like this song. There's a couple of songs on here where I feel like the storytelling as opposed to the songwriting, I could never quite grasp it. Whereas with... Uh, with the real thing or zombie eaters. I mean, I had to, I had to really had to read, but I, I kind of figured out what I thought those songs meant. And, you know, whatever he was hoping for doesn't matter to me as much as, you know, what's my, it's, you know, it's my music now. It's not his. Right. Uh, and I just find there's a few things that I feel I'm being held at arm's length uh, because of the, of the lyric writing and just something about this is make, it's almost like a, you, you've read a short story, but he forgot to give you an ending. Not that, that's necessarily what's going on in this song because it is a is, is a really good song. Just I my only <laughs> my only note is odd storytelling. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good tune. I like the song a lot. I don't know if this would come up in my analytics. All right. Now speaking of songs that you would not put on a mix for public consumption, <laughs> uh, malpractice, which is one of the uh, one of two. I don't know how would you describe this art damaged metal freakout. Um, my notes are very boring <laughs> and I hate the screaming. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I skip this one a lot. And then when I listen to it for the first time in a while, I'm like, 
oh, it's not that bad. And then it gets to a point where like, oh, right. And then I skip it again. Make it stop. Yeah, just make it stop. It, it's got a lot of make it stop in it for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's an immediate skip. All right. So let's just skip right to the next one. Before that, let's hear from our good friends over at the Weencast. Hey, what's up? This is Shane. And this is Rory. And we're Weencast. If you're into ween or a music lover, check out our podcast. We talk about ween shows, ween interviews, everything related to the band ween. Check us out. And now back to the show. Which is kindergarten. Like with the staccato vocals and that slow but up-tempo, I was a little surprised that this was not the lead single. Uh, this is closer to what I think people expect from Faith No More. No disrespect to Midlife Crisis. Yeah. But for me, this sounds almost like, okay, it's not epic, but people who liked epic, I felt could have latched onto this song. But then again, maybe that's why it wasn't released. See, I like this song, but I don't love it as much as the others. I, I definitely feel like it could have been shorter. I feel like it meanders quite a bit. And it, it again leans into that prog rock, prog metal area. That makes me worry like, oh God, are they are they really a prog metal band hiding out? Is Mike Patton the only thing keeping them from being just prog metal? Um, <laughs> so I like it, but I don't love it. And a lot of times when I think what would be a good single is not necessarily, this is my favorite song on the album. Uh, a radio edited version of this song I thought would have been a, a good lead or even second single. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then on to a song that could never ever be a single, Be Aggressive. <laughs> I love this song. I love this song. I do. I think it's a obviously a standout on the record. And I love the just the dichotomy of the of the lyrics and delivery with the cheer layered on top, you know? And it's like, who knew cheer metal was a thing? <laughs> Faith no more knew. And that is why they're brilliant. I feel like especially after kindergarten, this is like, okay, yeah, they're back. Okay. I think this song is fantastic. I love it. I wish there was more of this type of song on this album. Agree. Yeah. Because I mean you have like this again, kindergarten, not a bad song, but then after a song that both of us have a tendency to skip and then you get this great organ intro and then that hard but funky kind of follow-up mm -hmm. and then the the purposefully boundary pushing lyrics which were written by roddy bottom you know who is gay and you know they wrote it with the whole point of all right we're gonna make all these straight dudes in our concert sing along to this you know <laughs> and then just like oh and then of course a cheerleader part who has cheerleaders on their speed dial i know to, you know to get in the i album? know you know there's so much going on there is a lot going on in this song and i fucking love it i love the yep. song so much and <laughs> when i was uh when i was in college a guy who was i think a year or two younger than me uh also liked faith no more and so he he played this song and he He's like, Derek, what do you, what do you think he means? <laughs> I'm like, I don't think there's any ambiguity in this song. I think it means he swallows. Oh. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that they're being not at all coy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can call this song a lot of things. Subtle is not one of those things. It is not. It is not. And that's, and honestly, I think that's why it's also fantastic that it's on the, on the record, yeah. you know, that no one convinced them not to have it on the record or to change it or any of that. I just think it's a fantastic song. Yeah, same here. That's uh, what, one of my favorites, definitely. All right, then. And that leads us to a small victory. 
And I just, I love that start, just the keyboard, the bing, bing, bing at the beginning, and then just the uh, kind of a scaled back sonic palette, uh, which just tucks in really well behind Be Aggressive. Like you wouldn't want to go too big after Be Aggressive. Right. And I think just a nice, I don't know if poppy is the right word because this there's not very much that you can call pop on this record. Right. And while it doesn't feel like he has a lot to do here, uh, this is one of those songs that I think really show how much Jim Martin meant to the sound of this band. Yeah. And why they were never quite as good after he left. Because what he's doing is subtle in its background, but it's still got that that nice riffage and chug, chug, chug without being up front, you know. So it's not, you know, Sabbath, bloody Sabbath or anything, but it's important to making that song work. Yeah, I remember um, this was my favorite song when I first listened to the entire record. This song just, you know, stopped me in my tracks. I just think it's amazing. I, I think it's perfect from a songwriting perspective, especially. I think this and everything's ruined. Um, we're pretty much the high points for songwriting, in my opinion, for Mike Patton. I can listen to this one on a loop over and over again. I think it does a really great job of, you know, just rendering all of the band members' talents and strengths. I think it's balanced. I think it exposes each of them. None, I don't think any part overwhelms any other part. And, you know, it's just perfect. I love this song. This is another song that we had talked off, uh, talked about on on The Real Thing, where it just it's a good showcase song but unlike yeah which i think it was the morning after we were talking about uh i think this is a much more memorable song and i think just that okay this is they're all doing something different and they're all making it work and it's just really it's great this is one i, I definitely would go back to this be aggressive a small victory and then the next next one sometimes i'll just throw those three on yeah uh so which brings us to crack hitler again a major label putting out an album following <laughs> a huge hit single looking to sell some records and they ship an album with the words crack hitler on them at that scratchy guitar and that thrumming bass and the sirens in the background you know it's almost but not quite black exploitation but then you have like those 80s style keyboard come up and it doesn't quite mess up the vibe as it just shifts it a little bit. And then just the way he approaches the story of the song. And I almost wish it wasn't called Crack Hitler and that there was a little bit of a different <laughs> hook at that point. Uh, yeah. I, just, I love just this noir feel. This feels like an hour and a half movie boiled down to a, a four minute song, five minute song. And I think it's great. I love this song. I know it's got its faults. I know it could probably be a slightly better song somehow. But I love it. I love this song. So it's interesting because I like this song a lot. I really do. I think it's a fantastic song. I think it's kind of, it's it's their song that, one of their songs, I, actually it's the song, that reminds me most of early Chili Peppers records. Uh -huh. Just the arrangement. I think that what is different is that I, I think that Faith No More they're better musicians than Chili Peppers. <laughs> Flea notwithstanding, you know, we're not going to have a cage match. But I think that they are, and I think that they took more chances on arrangements. So they were kind of fearless in that regard. And I think this this song is kind of emblematic of their fearlessness with how we're going to arrange something. I felt like they were having a fun time with this song. And yeah. maybe how it ended up the way it did, like it, it could have been a little bit different. And maybe I don't, I just think they were having a good time. Now we shift on into another commercially viable single song right here in uh, <laughs> wait, no, the exact opposite of that uh, in Jizz Lobber. I think this is an example of uh, how their best work is not done when they're trying to be a straight up metal band. Yeah. I really think this was their, now we're going to be metal. And I don't think that 
they are a straight up metal band and shouldn't aspire to be right and i feel like that for me across their records they were always least interesting when they were trying to be straight up metal this is one i think if you just were to describe how the music goes or whatever i think i I would assume i would like it more than i do because it opens up with like with like swamp noises followed by like horror movie keyboards and this big broad riff but that riff never i think this is some of the most boring guitar work that he does a boring riff the whole thing never adds up to doesn't go anywhere i want to be and even Patton is singing at the low part of his register and he goes unhinged in a way that Marilyn Manson would be doing in a couple, you know, a couple of years later. Right. And sometimes the vocals can be interesting, but it's like, it just never adds up to what I, I think it should. And I think if the guitar would have been more interesting and the song would have been about two minutes shorter, this is one I, I probably could like, but it just never, it never adds up to anything. It's like they had seven parts, but they never found the connective tissue. A lot of times for me, uh, this album ends at Crack Hitler. <laughs> I don't listen to Jizlaber very often. Yeah. And, and it finishes with a an instrumental cover of the theme from Midnight Cowboy. My notes here are, eh. See, it's funny because, you know, unlike Woodpecker from Mars on The Real Thing, I think this instrumental is beautiful and is pretty easy to listen to. It doesn't feel as indulgent. It feels kind of more straightforward and honest, if that makes sense. Just sort of like, you know, they don't they don't have anything to prove with it. They're just kind of enjoying playing off the record. All right, we're done here. I kind of imagine someone turning off the lights in the studio and closing the doors as the song plays and they're done. <laughs> and that's how it feels to me, and which I, I really like. You can listen to it in the background. You don't have to pay too much attention to it, but it's very nice. Just doesn't have anything that hooks me in. By the time the song gets interesting, which is towards the second half, I've already checked out. <laughs> There's about a 98% chance that I have already turned the album off at Crack Hitler. <laughs> uh, okay. What are your final thoughts here? I think it's an incredible album. I love that the sound was so much better than the first one, so that you really heard the band, how, how they should be heard. I still pray that someday they'll just re-record the real thing. <laughs> <laughs> In a really expensive studio, throw all the money at them, but record it exactly as it was recorded, just with better equipment. Mostly, I think that there's just too much filler. I mean, I think, honestly, and this is kind of attributable to any band and any record, I think 10 to 11 songs is optimal for an album. And I think it's really tough to get 10 great songs on an album, much less 13. So I feel like they they pushed too far. They added filler. Um, and I don't know why, <laughs> but uh, as with the real thing, not all of the tracks made the digital transformation from the disc to my to my iTunes. But this is just one of my one of my all-time favorite records because I love the band and I think this is the the totality of this record represents what they are as a band more so than anything else. I don't know of another album that I love as much as I love this one where I skip as many songs regularly as I do with this one. Right. And but that's where I think it gets into the filler. If this were only 11 tracks like the first one, there is not as much skipping. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I commonly think to myself of as mid 90s disease because you know before you had to put everything on two sides of vinyl and then maybe with you know longer cassette you could include an extra track or something. But once bands realized they could put 80 minutes on a CD, they started putting yeah. 80 minutes on a CD. I finally brought all of my CDs from America to Poland. It was like a 12-year process of getting everything across the ocean. <laughs> 
now on Sundays, I like to, you know, I don't let the kids turn on the TV till much later. And I, I just, I play music in the morning. And so I do my, my little Sunday mm-hmm. listening. And it's kind of hard to find good stuff to listen to at Sunday in the morning when you have two small children. But I'm just, and then later on, I'll play other stuff. And if I pop in a CD, unless it's like a greatest hits or something, if I see that it has, you know, 13 to 16 tracks, I can almost guarantee you that album came out between 94 and 99. Because <laughs> one of the albums I'm going to do later is Wildflowers by Tom Petty. I love that record. It's 16 tracks long, and it would be a much better record if it was 12 tracks long. Yeah. Everything should be between 10 and 12 songs maximum and between 36 and 42 minutes long. Yeah, you are not wrong. <laughs> I mean, I do think it's just them being indulgent, right? It's like, well, we don't have to choose. So we're not going to choose. Whereas previously, you had to be choosy. You had to really look at your body of work and say, which, which is the best? What, what, are, what are the best things we created for this record? Let's choose them. And then when that became unnecessary, I just think it led to um, indulgent laziness. <laughs> yeah. So I think just so many of these songs could be tightened up uh, you mm-hmm. know, a track or two. Now, we may disagree on which tracks would come off, but I think if we both looked at it like, you know, I could see them keeping RV. I don't think it needs to be there, but I don't think that would be the first yeah. one I would go at. But if we were to say, all right, you need to cut out either Malpractice or Jizz Lobber. I oh, know. Cut them both. <laughs> cut those. Those two go. There you go. I'm <laughs> saying, but even if we just get it down to a 12-track album, even if you get rid of one or the other, and then you make yeah. 30% of these songs a minute shorter, and then you got something. And it's and the thing is, it's still a great record. Right. Totally fun listening to both of these. I'm really glad you decided to, to stick with The Faith No More. Nobody else has done that. We're going to be talking about two totally different bands, sometimes in two totally different genres. But just something about listening to these two records back to back has really brought me back to my uh, to my late teens and early 20s. Uh, I will always appreciate that, Michelle. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. And I do think they are two completely different records, right? I think unlike a lot of bands, like I'm a, I'm a huge Foo Fighters fan, but so many of their albums could just be intermixed. You could just pull tracks from one, throw them onto another. Nothing changes. They're, they're just a great straight ahead rock band. I think that because Faith No More is so different and they can do so much and they do so much, you know, variety. I think that these two records are completely different from one another. And I, I don't know that you could mix and match across these two records as easily. Definitely not. Once again, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out of your day this early in the morning, all the way over there on the West Coast. Uh, I do appreciate it. Thank you so very much, Michelle. And we'll talk to you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to I Fucking Love This Record. If you would like to co-host an episode, contact me at lovethisrecord at gmail.com. This and every episode can be found on my website, lovethisrecord.com. If you would like to follow us on Facebook, it's Love This Record. Twitter and Instagram, Love This Record 1. Music provided by The Ashes of Grissom. And thanks as always to original patron, Mark Evers. Please remember to subscribe, like, and review, and we'll see you next time. 